The health insurance varies per comunidad. So depending on where you're placed, that state that will purchase a private insurance uh, policy for you, it, it depends on where you are. In Madrid, I had, uh, I think we had Mafre. We had a pretty decent one. It was one that had like a skyscraper downtown. I don't remember the name. But my surgery was very, very easy. I just went to an emergency room with my issue and they were like, okay, you need the surgery. Okay, we're going to do it on this day. You know, whatever. Like they don't, they don't say, where's your money? Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign the award-winning podcast that elevates, celebrates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, big up Trinidad, that is currently living and thriving in Spain. I am not only an award-winning podcaster, but I am a business strategist and a damn good one at that, I would say. Yeah. As a business strategist, I help Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their skills into viable, sustainable, and impactful businesses. Businesses that not only make them professionally fulfilled, yes, purpose-driven, but also financially abundant. And these businesses help my clients to live out their own definition of a life well-lived abroad. If you're listening to this episode when it dropped, then it is late November 22, and I have some Black Friday deals for all of y'all. If you've been thinking about signing up for the Moving Abroad with Intention course or joining Build a Business Abroad Group Coaching. You'll want to stick around to the end of this episode for all the details. Now, as some of you know, who've been listening to this podcast for a minute, and some of you who are new, it's okay. I'm going to let you guys know this too. This podcast is a labor of love, but y'all know it. Labor, nonetheless. And to that end, I ask all of you to support this here podcast You can support this podcast by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. And also on the buymeacoffee.com website, I do have a wish list for this podcast. So if you're feeling festive and bright and generous, you can go and take a peek at that wish list for this podcast and any contribution to you keeping this podcast up and running will be greatly, greatly appreciated because as some of y'all know, This is a one-woman show. Yes, the 70-something episodes that I have put out thus far have been me and only me. So any help that you could provide would be greatly appreciated. You can also support this podcast by simply subscribing to this podcast and 
reviewing this podcast on whatever platform you listen to the show. So go ahead and give it a five-star rating and leave a review. Let everyone know why you like this podcast. It really does help. So I'd really appreciate you if you did that. And of course, another really important way for you to support this podcast is to share this podcast. Share it with your friends, your family. Share it on LinkedIn. Share it on Instagram. Share it on your newsletter if you have one. It's really important and it really does make a huge difference. I have received so many DMs and emails from people who are like, my friend sent me this podcast and I love it. Like this actually happens a lot. So if you think, no, no one cares. Actually, you are the influencer in your own network. You, you influence. So go ahead and share your love of this podcast. Thank you again for all of your support. I appreciate all of you so very much. All right, on to the next episode. Today's episode is part one of healthcare abroad. Yeah. You know, I've been interviewing black women from all around the world who live all around the world since 2020. And I've been discussing their lives, but also their experiences with healthcare systems all around the world. And healthcare is one of those things that no matter who you are and where you are in life, it's going to affect you. And so I wanted to put together this three-part series. Yes, I did say three. Three-part series to help you all learn more about healthcare abroad. I think you guys are going to really enjoy the series. If you do, feel free to slide into my DMs and tell me. <laughs> feel free to email me and let me know you like this content because I make it all for y'all. I make it for you. So you guys have all this great knowledge at your fingertips. Today's episode is a compilation of guests that I have interviewed discussing their experiences with healthcare in their respective countries. In the very first episode of Flourish in the Foreign, I interviewed my dear friend, Niana Rice, and she shared her experience living in Spain. And although she currently lives in the Netherlands, she discussed her experience with the Spanish healthcare system while being an auxiliar de conversación or language assistant in Madrid. As I mentioned before, the language assistants receive health insurance as a part of being in this program. And the health insurance really is dependent on which region you're placed in. And unfortunately, Nayana had to utilize that health insurance her first year in Madrid. The health insurance varies per comunidad. So depending on where you're placed, that state that will purchase a private insurance uh, policy for you, it, it depends on where you are. In Madrid, I had, uh, I think we had Mafre. We had a pretty decent one. It was one that had like a skyscraper downtown. I don't remember the name. But my surgery was very, very easy. All I had to do was go to a doctor or I just went to an emergency room with my issue. And they were like, okay, you need the surgery. Okay, we're going to do it on this day. You know, whatever. Like they don't they don't say, oh, how is where's your money? Nothing. It's on my insurance card. Everything. I swipe the card. If I have the card, 
they perform everything and then the bill comes later but i didn't receive a bill because it was covered under my insurance so it was great and the aftercare was amazing i had to go back every day for nine days for them to take care of the wound completely covered and i had time off from work to take care of it and i've had like i said my colleagues come with me from work the teachers that i work with to doctor's appointments because they were worried they're like no we want to make sure we understand because <laughs> you talking about what better a surgery where why uh-uh we're going <laughs> like okay it, it you feel better when you have someone there but people were very understanding that was my experience in madrid of course experiences vary i don't know how everyone's medical experiences are but I also don't have any preliminary things or I don't have any, you know, conditions that I brought with me. So I don't take medication for anything. So when I recorded episode four with Adelia from Picky Girl Travels, she was at the time stuck in China. And although she currently lives in Mexico City, Mexico, she has lived all around the world, Honduras, Kuwait, China, and of course, Mexico. And so I asked her to describe to me her thoughts and experiences of the healthcare systems that she has experienced all around the world. The healthcare system, that has been interesting. I have not yet lived in a country that has a single payer healthcare system. Every country I've lived in has kind of had a, a, a two level system like public hospital and private. Honduran hospitals were plagued with shortages and that's part of bigger issues at play there. In Mexico, I could get top-notch care at very reasonable prices. I did not have health insurance. When I move back, I will. In Kuwait, quality care was available. My only real complaint, and this had more to do with my employer, was their policies that if you, let's say you were sick, you want to use a sick day, you had to go to the doctor and you had to get a letter, but just the letter from the doctor wasn't good enough. Someone at the hospital had to sign the letter to vouch for the doctor, but then somebody from the Ministry of Health had to sign the letter to vouch for the hospital and the doctor. And all of that process could take like weeks just so you would not be docked a day of pay to use a sick day that was supposed to be a benefit. One of the things that Kuwait was in the process of doing, I don't know if they did, but they wanted to restrict access to public hospitals so that foreigners could not go. Again, that just feeds to their reputation of being unfriendly to expats. And then here in China, I have made it my goal to stay away from the healthcare system here for several reasons. In order to get your visa, you have to do a physical, okay? But then when you get here, you also have to do a physical, you have to do blood work. There's probably a pregnancy test too because you're not allowed to come pregnant. The facility, it's a government facility, the level of cleanliness, the... Let's just say it wasn't run in the manner that I had grown accustomed to in Western facilities. And I knew right there that I did not want to be in any form of a Chinese hospital. If I were to get sick, I have insurance. 
I think I can go to private. One of my coworkers has four kids. So he has navigated the healthcare system here quite a bit. Some of it successfully, some of it not so successfully. China and Honduras would probably be the lowest on my list, but for different reasons. In episode seven, I was chatting with Jules from All Things Iceland. Love Jules so much. And I asked her what has been her experience with the Icelandic healthcare system. So healthcare is heavily subsidized, but it's not completely free. Every township has a, a health center. And when you're in your different area, you're supposed to go to that health center if you have a problem because your doctor is assigned to you there. They know because once you give them your social security number, which is called the Kinetala in Icelandic, then they just put your Kinetala in, your name pulls up, they know what your address is and that you're at the right health center. I think I've paid $12 or something like that for going to the doctor. And it's just really not expensive at all. It's enough where you have to pay just a little bit. But if you have to go to a specialist, that's where it can get quite expensive. And people tell me, if you need to see a couple of specialists, do it all in the same month, because there's a max amount that you have to pay. After you hit a cutoff point of maybe $300, let's just say, then you stop having to pay for these visits because they don't want to make healthcare too expensive. And I've never had a child, but I've heard that it's practically free, the service for pregnant women, if not completely free. In episode eight, I was chatting with Patricia from the Enterprising Expat, and she discussed her experience as a trailing spouse all over the continent of Africa and the Middle East, but also in the United States. And so I asked her to describe to me her experience and her thoughts about the various healthcare systems she has experienced. I find that healthcare here in the U.S. is wonderful, but you have to make a certain amount of money to have access to that healthcare. So there are two very different issues there. It's like, um, yes, the, the standard of healthcare here is excellent, but I have problems with the accessibility of it. I don't think healthcare should be a privilege. Um, but I mean, contract we have, we have access to good healthcare. Lebanon, I thankfully was not ill. There was a day when I, I got food poisoning and I was ill for three days. Like I actually thought I was dying and my husband was really worried and I was scaring him and he does not scare easily. But I had such a bad time in Lebanon that I was actually too scared to go to the doctor because I was afraid of the reception that I would get because I had heard some horror stories. I was just afraid of the of the racist reaction that I might face if I had to go into a hospital. I was afraid of that. There was just that one incident where I was sick, but thankfully, um, you know, nothing came of it. South Africa has excellent healthcare. Again, it is a system of you only have access to it if you have the funds, but as medical tourism is a thing, I'm going to say you, you should look at South Africa. If you want anything done, the doctors are excellent. 
I've, I've been lucky that I haven't really been sick so far as an expat in, in our packages, healthcare has been covered. And it's, it's one of those things where if you live in a place that is considered high risk, there's all of this thing of, oh, we will helicopter you out, which sounds kind of cool, but I actually never want to be in that position. In episode nine, I was chatting with Barbara and Jordan, and she revealed that her and her family had a pretty immediate encounter with the Jordanian healthcare system upon arrival. Unfortunately, when we first moved here, my husband got sick. And so I got an up close and personal exposure to Jordan's healthcare system. The good news is Jordan has world-class healthcare. And I was blown away by the quality of care, the attentiveness of the staff, just everything from beginning to end that he received during hospitalization and after. It was really amazing. And I learned in that process that Jordan actually is a medical destination for the Middle East region. People travel to Jordan specifically for healthcare, both required healthcare and optional healthcare, like cosmetic surgery or cosmetic dentistry. It has a very modern, highly developed medical system. Most of the doctors are trained in the West, have careers in the West, in the UK, United States, and then later in their careers, return to Jordan. In episode 18, I was chatting with Jamila in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and I asked her to describe to me the healthcare system in Argentina and if she preferred the public healthcare system or the private healthcare system. They have free healthcare. It's available to everybody. Even if you're here on a tourist visa, I think they would prefer for you to not use the free health care if you're here on a tourist visa, but they're not going to turn you away. And I think that's fair. But I think, as I've seen with a lot of places that have free health care, it takes a lot of time sometimes to get appointments. If you want to go through the free system, you have to get up early and go get in line and literally just wait in line to see a doctor. No, sorry, let's be honest. You wait in line a long time to see a person at a desk in which you tell them what's wrong with you, and then they give you a number to go wait in another long line to see a doctor who will talk to you for just a few seconds and give you an appointment hopefully, or just a number to wait in another long line. And so it's free, but it literally could be your whole day or several days to kind of get something seen if it's not an emergency. But they also have private insurance, which you can pay for, which I think most people that have steady incomes do. And I find them to be affordable, especially from the United States, probably pay like, I guess the equivalent of $100 or $150 a month for basically full coverage, which means I don't have to wait in long lines and I can schedule appointments and go in and get someone talked to. There's no copay. It covers a wide variety of things, dentist and eye, all of that for the amount 
that I would have been paying my deductible or even part of my co-pays in the U.S. Even if you don't want to buy the insurance monthly, you, most people or most other expats that I know, they just pay for the doctor out of pocket. If you get sick and you want to go to an urgent care clinic and get checked out, you just show up and pay maybe $30. And maybe if you have to end up getting an x-ray or something, if the whole price maybe is 50, 70 bucks and you can just walk in. I think it's way more affordable than the U.S. Overall, pretty good. I'm not saying that the free healthcare system is bad. I'm saying that I don't have the patience for the lines and the wait. I do think it's a really good system. In episode 22, I was chatting with Lisa R. Mitchell of Living a Global Lifestyle, and I asked her about her experiences with the healthcare systems in UK and in China. The healthcare system, the UK is socialized medicine, and I never really had to engage with it besides going to the pharmacy and getting medication. And the thing to know is some medications in some countries are what we consider prescription or over-the-counter in other countries and vice versa. But I did have to engage in the healthcare system in China. Most foreigners who go to China will tell you everybody knows the air quality is a problem. So you'll get an upper respiratory infection. Most expats have who've lived in China, I found out, have a story of hospitalization. China hasn't quite figured out if they want, because a a lot of my students actually were in the medical field, um, because a a lot of our clients were uh, pharmaceutical companies, because they follow the Western training. So I had that benefit that I learned a lot from the students. Most of people in China who worked in pharmaceuticals were doctors. So I had that. And they were still trying to figure out, well, do we follow the United States medical care system? Or do we follow Europe or Canada? Where do we kind of want to be on that? And they have a bigger issue because they have 1.3 billion people. So having gotten sick now, if you break your ankle, sure, you can go to a local hospital in China. I had something more serious and it required hospitalization. So I went to a Western hospital. I received excellent care. I had excellent doctors and it wasn't expensive. I think I went to a specialist and it was like a hundred dollars and it was all Western medicine from the top pharmaceutical companies. So it was fine, but I got uh, uh, hospitalized very early in my tenure in living in China. So I kept my health insurance in the United States, which I advise everyone to do. And this is before Obamacare. This is like I had COBRA, which when you quit your job, you can keep your insurance for like up to 18 months. And I had that. And that was a lifesaver. Still, I had a five-figure hospital bill, which is not uncommon. And like I said, I'd only been there five months. So I was trying to figure out, well, what kind of expat healthcare policy I should do, but I didn't have a chance to do it. Yes, I had healthcare working through my company, but most of the time you're on a local contract, unless you're on an expat where your company from the U.S. is sending you overseas, you're going to be on a local contract that's local insurance, that's a local hospital. 
most local hospitals in a lot foreign countries will have a Western wing. Sometimes that Western wing just means people speak English. It doesn't mean that the service is better. So you really have to know. And I would say with COVID-19, this is going to be a game changer. I see a lot of people say, oh, I don't need travel insurance. I didn't need travel insurance for 20 something years until I did. China. And then actually in 2017, I was in Thailand and was looking for a spot and fell and cracked my elbow. And luckily I had travel insurance. So you need to figure out if you need travel insurance, if you need a long-term expat policy, you need to have something that covers repatriation of remains, sadly, in case you die. You need to have evacuation insurance. And a lot of countries, I guarantee you, there are already some countries, what is it, Cuba, the Czech Republic, who require you to show proof of insurance. Thailand just did this, which is a big blogger haven. I guarantee you a lot of other countries are going to require proof of insurance, especially for U.S. citizens, because they know COVID-19 ravaged most states. But they know our, our healthcare system is crap. And they know a lot of people come, they come overseas because they want to enjoy a better healthcare system, but they haven't necessarily paid into it, which is also becoming a really big problem overseas. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, please consider supporting this podcast by buying me a coffee or purchasing an item off the podcast wish list on Buy Me a Coffee. So you can either go to buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign and buy me a coffee, or you can purchase an item off our wish list. Either way, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed and you left a review. And now on to the rest of the episode. In episode 24, I chatted with Cinnamon, aka Driven Spice of, of course, YouTube fame in Portugal. And at the time, she had just arrived in Portugal. And we chatted about what kind of health insurance she needed for her visa to reside in Portugal. So I can't say specifically, but because I have to have my meeting with the immigration, I, I have a traveler's insurance right now because that's what you need for the visa. But once I'm, I, before I go to my CEF meeting, which is in November, I have to purchase private insurance. And from what I was told, it can range anywhere from 35 to $45. And it includes everything, dental health and things of that nature. I do have a, a girlfriend who's here and she has had to go to the hospital into the emergency room a couple of times, but she said the experience was so much easier because the same day she was able to have a specialist doctor come there. And I know for us, for even for my conditions with thyroids, if I needed an ultrasound, I had to wait like another three or four months to get an appointment with a completely different type of doctor than my primary care. So whatever's going on, and if you need a specialist, you're waiting a month to three months, sometimes longer than that, just to get the follow-up. And here she was able to find a doctor, spoke English and was able to help her. And I was asking, I was like, do you feel like you had a good experience. She's like, it was a great experience. So it's definitely much more affordable. And I have friends who, you know, live in Spain and, and have a better situation as well. So the health insurance is a big deal. And even though you're paying private health insurance, it's still substantially cheaper um, than anything you pay in the States. 
In episode 26, I chatted with Sophia about her trip traveling all around the world, her studies in England, and her volunteering in Tanzania. Because Sophia is a healthcare practitioner, she's a dentist, I asked her to describe and to compare the various healthcare systems she has encountered, mainly Barbados, England, and Tanzania. I should warn anybody who's listening, I'm actually a healthcare nerd. I studied public health. <laughs> I was super healthcare nerd. I will try to not geek out about it. But here in Barbados, we have a mixed system. We do have a lot of public health care. We have a public hospital, and that's the main hospital here. We have public health clinics, which are all over the island. And then we have private health care as well. So we have public, private. Like I said, public is for anybody. Anybody who gets sick, call an ambulance. They'll take you to the main hospital. And yes, there's a private hospital. But even if you go to the private hospital, there are times when they will transfer you over to the main public hospital because that's the best equipped out of the two or has more equipment of the, the two hospitals in terms of medical health in terms of dental health there are dental clinics within the community health clinics it's mostly for children and there are very limited treatment to adults there adults for the most part you ha- they have to get their dental care within private health care system and then there are some private dental clinics all over the island that's how it works here it's mixed uh, public private the uk is also mixed and like i said our systems a lot of our systems are roughly based on the british system for many many years the uk is mixed they have a very big national health service nhs uh, and they cover a lot of their public um, hospitals when i went there i worked in one of the community centers and they have private, like, clinic, like, dental clinics. They have public and private dental clinics or dentists that do public and private dentistry. And then they have private. They have, like, health insurance covered hospitals. There's one there called Bupa. They have big hospitals that are just for the people who have their insurance. And they have, like, health insurance for dentists. You can actually buy a dental policy and that will cover certain things. Or you can just pay for it outright. It's a big mixed bag of private and public. Tanzania. Tanzania, I believe, is a mix of public and private. In the bigger cities, there's better access. When I went there to work, and I can speak mostly for dental, when I went there to work, they had something like one dentist to every 500,000 people. That was the ratio that they had. And 90% of those dentists were in the main cities. What was happening was the people that lived rurally, and they had quite a big rural population, they would, some of them would have to walk for five, six days to get to the dentist. Like, they were really cut off from that. But each, a lot of the rural villages had a small health clinic, and they would have either a doctor or a healthcare worker a nursing, something like that, just, just as they would have the school, and that would be public, public health, and they would take care of their immediate medical needs, and the places that didn't have that for whatever reason, they had their own traditional uh, medicine people who would do, do their traditional medicine. And in terms of dentistry, the, the access out in those rural areas was, was bad, and there are people, you, would, you could die from a dental infection, like I said, there are people who would have to get on a bicycle and ride for five days 
to get to the dentist. And the whole aim of the program was to, to increase access to the areas that didn't have any, but sustainable access. That was why they would train the doctors and they would give them a dental kit by the end of it so they could carry out basic extractions or whatever, and then have a referral system for people who, who were outside of that uh, scope. In episode 28, I was chatting with Roxana in Singapore, and I asked her to compare her native UK NHS to the healthcare system she has encountered in Singapore. So in the UK, we have the National Health Service. I don't know how much you know about the National Health Service, but when I read articles about America saying, oh, we can't have people are like, that's crazy that you have to pay for it. I don't know if you saw the video of like, they interviewed British people about Americans and how much they spend on their medication. And we were like, that's crazy. You have to pay for an ambulance, really? So there's a video that went viral in the UK where they were like, yeah, you have to pay this much for the ambulance service. And we were like, what? But we love our NHS. I think people have described it as a religion that we love the fact that if you are sick, you will get treated without having to pay for it. One of the downsides of that is unless you pay privately, for certain things, you can wait a long time for discretionary or things that they consider to be discretionary treatment, IVF being one of them. So if I was doing IVF back in the UK, I think it would have a really big strain on my marriage having to wait maybe two years or three years to get it on the NHS. We are fortunate enough that we would probably pay for it privately, but I still think it would be, you know, three, four months waiting. In Singapore, as soon as your cycle starts, you can contact them that day and you can get seen by a doctor. If I have any issues that I need treating and it's even if it's discretionary, you can find a doctor to see you that day. I can walk off the street into a doctor's office, pay a certain amount of money and be seen. It's so readily available and so easy and it's so smooth over here, although you have to pay for it. So I'm definitely not advocating for having to pay for your own medical care because I love the NHS and I think taking care of people is the most important thing. But if I was going to have to pay for it anyway, which I would in the UK for it to be done in any reasonable amount of time, doing it here is just incredible. It's so, so efficient. In episode 29, I was chatting with Francis, and at the time, and I think still currently, Francis is a digital nomad, so she has lived all around the world. So I asked her to describe to me all of the healthcare systems she has encountered in all of her travels. So in Thailand, working for the school, you get like a basic insurance, which thankfully I didn't have to really use. But healthcare is just totally different. Even in, in Japan, I had universal healthcare. I didn't have to use it. In Thailand, it was a lot cheaper to just pay things out of pocket. I had easy access to, and this could be pro and a con, but like if I needed some kind of medication, I didn't have to jump through hoops to get it. In Thailand, they have this thing where I think they do it maybe twice or once a year, but you can get a total comprehensive checkup with blood work, everything. And I think it was like, I don't know, like $150 or something like that. And so, and I remember going to the, to get this checkup and they gave me, they knew I was going to spend all day there. They gave me a lunch box so I could have a little lunch to eat. The person escorted me to all of my appointments in the hospital. <laughs> Where do they do that at? And I remember talking to a friend of mine, uh, this, this 
this girl I had interviewed and she is quarantined in Nigeria right now. And she said when she had got to Nigeria, she had to do two week uh, quarantine. They checked in on her. They put her up in a hotel. They made sure she was okay. And then she didn't have to come out of pocket for any of that. So I tell you like the healthcare system in America, we already know it's absolutely broken. This quarantine has revealed a lot of inefficiencies in our systems. I got better healthcare overseas than I did in America. And it was way, way more affordable. And so sometimes I always encourage people, if there's things that you need to do, work it around your vacation and go to a place like Thailand or go to a place like Japan or Taiwan and see what those prices are. Cause you could save yourself thousands and thousands of dollars if you end up getting services overseas. In episode 39, I was chatting with the lovely Marie and we were discussing her time in Dubai and also the Philippines. And I asked her not only to describe to me the healthcare systems in both the UAE and the Philippines, but also she was so kind and transparent enough to discuss with me a serious health challenge she had in the Philippines and her perspective on the Filipino medical response. Healthcare in Dubai was good. You can get whatever you need there and pay out of pocket too, because at that point I still didn't have like a healthcare system. So I was paying out of pocket for things. In Dubai, I wasn't really a sickly person, so I didn't really go to, I think I went to the doctor once, maybe, oh, to get the physical for the free zone visa. But yeah, I didn't need to go to the doctor when I was in Dubai. Yeah, just go to the pharmacist if I was feeling a little ill. You could just go walk into a pharmacist and basically ask for whatever. Tell the pharmacist some of the symptoms that you're having, and then they'll give you some supplements or give you some actual medication. So I did that on Dubai, but I really didn't get sick. There was more stress-related sickness. And then when that would happen, I would go within and just get myself aligned there. I did acupuncture in Dubai, did massages. So those are all things readily available. I, I mostly focus on more Eastern way of treatment and not so much Western way. And then in Philippines, it's the same, very inexpensive. I would say more inexpensive than in Dubai. An average walk-in, just going to a doctor would be, what would be considered like 30, maybe 28 US dollars paying out of pocket. But if you have insurance, then you don't pay anything. And this is for specialists. Like you can see any type of specialist or any type of regular doctor for that. Usually from 20 to $28, you can pay for that in the Philippines. So healthcare in the Philippines is actually, it's really good. But once again, I live in a highly expat area. So I, at my hospital is maybe four or five blocks, maybe, maybe about seven blocks away. And it's a private hospital. So it's a different perspective. I, I want people to get uh, a true understanding of when we're talking about all these different things, expensive uh, housing and then the healthcare. Yeah, it is expensive, but coming from a westernized country, you have a certain level of standard. So yes, it it can be expensive. It doesn't necessarily uh, equate, living abroad equates to being cheap or dirt cheap. It's cheaper, but it's not dirt cheap if you want to appeal, uphold your certain standard of living. So yeah, the healthcare is great. I had a health 
incident, not an incident, a health disaster, I should say, that occurred this past year where I was diagnosed and treated for reproductive cancer. That was, I'm so grateful to have been with an employer, first of all, where my health insurance is was not even a factor of being worried. Whereas if I even would have been in the States to get treated chemo, I did six rounds of chemo, uh, countless rounds of red radiation, that would have been an astronomical copay, even with our insurance in the state. So I was treated, diagnosed and treated in the Philippines. And although it was a long and hard, tumultuous journey, I am on the other side and my whole specialist team is very pleased with how everything's going and the results and how my tumors responded to, to the treatment. So yeah, I have nothing but praises for the healthcare in the Philippines because healthcare is a financial burden, especially when you work for yourself over your whole, most of the majority of your career span and the quality of the health care. So yeah, I have no complaints with them. I only paid out of pocket for my, I was on extensive amount of medication. So I pay out of pocket for that, but I should have just turned in my receipts and I could have got that money back. But yeah, for any type of MRI, CAT scan, all that, oh, surgery, chemo, it, it was all covered. So I have nothing but praises for the Filipino healthcare system. In episode 44, I was chatting with Paige in London, and I asked her to describe to me her experience with the UK healthcare system as a student. As a student, you get access to NHS. You have to pay the like healthcare surcharge, and then it just becomes available to you. I think it's a really great system. Like You don't have to pay a copay when you want to go see the doctor. You do have to pay for dental services, but... Everything else is pretty much included in that fee that I paid um, when I was a student. And now that I'm on this new visa, I also had to pay a healthcare surcharge and opted into NHS. So yeah, it's, everything is pretty much covered. It's, it's really great. I've actually gone in for like a routine checkup. I had like my annual pap smear, things like that. And I also had to get an emergency dentist appointment as well. So yeah, I've, I've been to the doctor and the dentist a few times. I know some people have their complaints uh, when it comes to like NHS versus like private healthcare. But I mean, I've only experienced the NHS here and I haven't had any problems with it. It's, they seem to be, you know, really about their business to me here. So I haven't had any issues. In episode 45, I was chatting with Star of Black Girl in Budapest, and I asked her to share her experiences with the healthcare system in Hungary. So there is the national healthcare here, and you will receive your tie card, and everyone gets that, unless you are not a citizen. So as of right now, I don't become a citizen until this year. So I don't, I am not covered under the national healthcare. So I have to have healthcare myself. So I usually go to private clinics here where there are English speaking doctors and that is actually double the price. So even for them speaking English at the same hospital. So if you speak Hungarian at this private hospital, it is half the price. But because it is a specialty to speak English and translate all of your transcripts in English, it is double the price. <laughs> so that 
totally sucks, right? Unless you have insurance and it goes through your insurance and you just don't care because you're already paying your premium. But that's a big thing for expats here is understanding where we stand and what healthcare means for us. Because although I take my daughter, I take her to both, depending on what we need. If she's just having a cold and I know they're just going to prescribe her cough medicine, we go to the free healthcare in our district, right down the street. We're in and out in 15 minutes. There's no wait. They give us a prescription. We go to the pharmacy. So I think it's great. It's a great healthcare system. I know that financially they're struggling in a way, but I think many people are struggling during this time of COVID. (laughs) But I know that politically wise, we have amazing stadiums and the current healthcare system is struggling. So it's like, where's the money going? But yeah, overall, it's decent. In episode 50 of the podcast, I was chatting with the lovely Lola Akamande Akstrom of In Every Mirror She's Black. I love that book. Love it so much. And I asked her to discuss the healthcare system in Sweden. So the good thing is, again, remember in the beginning when I was talking about societies that have to kind of put systems in place to handle stress before they can properly function. So Sweden has put systems in place to handle stress. So pretty much very affordable, accessible healthcare for everyone, being able to see doctors and even though, yes, the system is stretched, they still always need more doctors. But you, you in Sweden, you don't feel like you're going to have to go bankrupt or you need health insurance before you can actually go to an hospital or get the care you need. And that's one of the great things. That's kind of where a lot of our taxes go, is into creating that backbone, that structure that takes care of some basic stress factors in our lives so we can actually live a fulfilled or more balanced life. So... In terms of that, the Swedish healthcare system is just a lot stronger in that regards, in that people, it's more accessible and more affordable than the American system. But the, but the American system, there are lots of amazing doctors, amazing hospitals, amazing programs. You just have to be able to afford it to get to it. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I hope you all enjoyed part one of Healthcare Abroad. And if you did, definitely drop me a line and let me know that you liked it. How else am I supposed to know, y'all? It's a two-way street. Let me know for sure. And remember, if you have a question that you would like me to answer, I am going to do an Ask Me Anything episode this year. Yes. So drop me a line and ask me anything. You can slide in my DMs on Instagram at Flourish Foreign, or you can email me. You can come by the contact page at flourishandforeign.com and drop me a note. It can be about anything at all. Whatever you want to know, ask me. Now on to the big news. So the end of the year is here. Black Friday, what have you, is here. And I have some really great news for those of you who've been wanting to join Move Abroad with Intention course and the Build a Business Abroad group coaching programs. The Moving Abroad with Intention course is going to be having a self-study and a live version. Now, going into 2023, the live version will not always be on offer, okay? The live version will not always be on offer. I've been telling you all this for some months. It's not always going to be on offer, and I mean it. So, 
for Black Friday, I will be offering the self-study version of the course for 297 USD. And the live version of the course will be available at $495. This is the price for only for Black Friday. Only for Black Friday. If you are not on my newsletter list, you're probably going to miss out because I'm definitely going to open up the cart before Black Friday. I'm definitely going to open up the cart before Black Friday so you'll be able to purchase these things without any stress. Now, after Black Friday, the self-study course is going to be $397 and the live course is going to be $595. And going into the new year, the self-study course is going to be $497. And when the live course drops, whenever I decide, I'll let you know how much that's going to be. So it's actually a really great time. The prices are going up. I let y'all know that. So if you've been thinking about it, if you've been on the fence about it, this is the time to get the Move Abroad Intention course. This is the time. Now for Build a Business Abroad group coaching, this is actually really big deal. So if you're interested in it, please, please pay attention. So Build a Business Abroad, I'm only taking 10 people into this cohort. I really have to be true to myself. Anybody who's worked with me knows that I'm very hands-on. Um, I love things to be cozy. I love everyone to feel really supported, especially when you're building a business. So it's only going to be 10 people. Now, this is the thing. The current price of Build a Business Abroad is already on the website. Those of you signed up for it already know the, it's a one-time fee with lifetime access to the cohort and the community and everything like that. However, next year, the price is going to be doubled. Let me repeat that. The price is going to be doubled, okay? So it's going to go from about $1,200 to $2,500, okay? That's what's going to happen next year. So, if you are interested and you are ready to make this kind of commitment, I highly suggest you go ahead and sign up for Build a Business Abroad or Move Abroad with Intention course. For all of the most up-to-date information about both of these offerings, there are links in the description of this episode. I want you to read your emails that I send you. I want you to ask me some questions back in the emails, okay? Go ahead and take advantage of this because the prices are all going up next year. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's it for me. As always, thanks to Zach Higgs, who produced the music of this here podcast. And of course, thanks to all of you who support this podcast so much. I appreciate your love. I appreciate your emails. You guys are the best audience in the entire world. It's scientifically proven. <laughs> so remember, it is not about moving abroad. And it definitely cannot be about just being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. I'll see y'all next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If you are going to use the healthcare in another country, what are the considerations as far as pre-existing conditions and that type of thing? 
from my experience, I think normally moving outside of the U.S. as far as cost goes, normally insurance cost in another country is going to be a lot cheaper than what it is in the U.S. But you also want to have the consideration of should you keep your health insurance in the U.S.? Depending on where you go, for example, when we moved to Dominican Republic, we knew that the quality of care didn't match our standards. So we maintained uh, a policy for coverage in the U.S. 